Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Well, hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to week three of For Dads Only. It's great to see you dads in the house or dads-to-be or thought about being a dad or I heard there was donuts and now you're really ticked off. Whatever brought you in here, we're, we're really glad you're here. And I got to tell you, I've, I've got three kids. Uh, if you didn't know, I've got a 16-year-old daughter getting ready to be a junior high school. I've got a 13-year-old daughter getting ready to be eighth grade. And I've got a nine-year-old son getting ready to be in fourth grade. And my wife and I, we were talking a couple months ago, and she said, you know, the great thing about parenting is, is you always feel like you're, you're stinking with at least one kid. You know, it's like you got one kid, and it's like, man, we're in a sweet spot, and this one, it's like we're, we're getting ready to put him up uh, out on the porch, and, and, and then it switches. Sometimes week to week, sometimes day to day, sometimes moment to moment. And uh, that's why we need each other guys to link arms and I'm so grateful that Kent Evans is going to be equipping us today with with three timeless timeless principles timeless truths um, this this has been timely for me we've been in a challenging season um, of parenting as a dad and you know it's it's just it's like how do I encourage my kids um, and how do I how do I teach and model for them and how do I prepare them instead of just trying to get in front of them and, and trying to fix everything for them and then they get on their own and, and they've never been equipped to do that. And so, But guys, all that being said, this is not about, man, how do we become better dads? Um, although that's admirable, but that would fall short. This is about how do we intentionally pursue discipling our kids, sons, daughters, um, to pursue loving Jesus wholeheartedly and you know, to live out the Great Commission, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Like, that is why we're doing this. This is not so that, hey, hopefully, hopefully uh, you become your kid's hero. Um, that would be wrong um, because it's about us pointing our kids towards Jesus' redemptive power, and he's the only ultimate hero that will never disappoint. So glad you're here. I'm going to pray and then bring up uh, Kent here this morning. Father, thank you for these men. I thank you. Um, for the different stories and perspectives that are represented in this room. And Father, I know that there's not a dad in, in this room that feels like in our best moment, like, God, we got this. But Father, we acknowledge that you're a good, good father. You're our ultimate model to follow after. And so, Father, I thank you for these men positioning themselves to be equipped, to be sharpened, to be reminded of things. Um, and Father, for every guy in here, for every dad in here, whether they had an awesome dad that in many ways they're just trying to pay things forward that their dad taught them, or whether when they think of their dad, they, they, they clench their teeth earthly father-wise um, because of all sorts of reasons. Lord, would you remind every one of these dads that you're for them and not against them and that you're enough? For the dads in here that, that are like, man, I feel like I'm 
a father who's blind because I didn't have an example or would you, would you guide these dads that are in that case and, and dads who came from great um, backgrounds, Lord, remind them that, that you still want them to carry that forward but also their role is to be faithful, not to try to reduplicate something. So encourage these men today and still within us a passion, a sense of urgency to equip our kids to love you wholeheartedly. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning, and we ask that you guide us, and we give you all the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you all to welcome Kent Evans to the stage this morning. <laughs> Kent and I played baseball growing up as kids um, at Beachmont. That's right. And I That's remember right. standing in line to get a snow cone after the game with you. That's a true story. Uh, cherry or grape, they're both favorites. But Kent left uh, his secular job, how many years ago? Six, actually this month. Six years, Six ago, years ago this month <clears throat> to start a not-for-profit called Manhood Journey. Yeah. Tell us what Manhood Journey is. We exist to help dads be disciple makers. And the reason, the way that we do that is through a bunch of resources. We have events, books, Bible studies, and things like that. Okay. It's a short version. And so we've got a couple, you have uh, Manhood Journeys putting on a couple things that we want all of us to be aware of. Yeah. One is this father-son retreat out at Country Lake. Mm -hmm. And that's, tell us. This will be year six or seven. I can't, I lost track with COVID, but we bring together dads and sons. The, the youngest age of your son would be around eight or nine. And the oldest is usually around college or 18 or 20. And right now we have about, we're way ahead of last year. So we have about 80, 85 fathers and sons. And when is that? That's August 5th and 6th. So about a month from today. It's a Friday night, Saturday. So if you have a young son in the home or a teenager in the home, we play paintball, we have fun on the lake. You know, we have great teaching. There's lots of free stuff. It's a great weekend. Yeah. So fun with, fun with your son and also spiritual. You got it. You got it's it. Good. And then also you've got this thing that I was part of last year. It's called Gun Razor. Yeah. That's the first time I've shot a gun like that. Um, my shoulder's still short. Tell us what that is. In October, we have a benefit event for our ministry that's called the Gun Razor, and we have a sporting clay shoot. So you come out, you're on a team of four, and you shoot moving objects for about three or four hours, or in theory, you aim at and attempt to shoot moving objects for a few hours. It's a blast. We have a great time. A lot of fun. Uh, well, more details on that. And then I wanted to take a few moments to... Talk about these manhood journey groups yeah. that are father-son groups and tell us a little bit about that because I'm getting ready to yeah. dive into that with, with my son this year. Yeah, a lot of times what we do in the, in the Christian or church world is we tell dads to go disciple your kids, but we don't give you really simple ways to do that. And so the idea behind a small group for manhood journey, which is really where we started at Southeast about 11, 12 years ago with ministry is think of a group of five or six young men. They could be boys between ages eight and 18 and their dads who come together for about six weeks to walk through a specific set of biblical uh, principles. And we make it super, super simple. So I'll give you an example. We might have a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, which a lot of you may know by heart, but I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, give you a hope and a future, not to cut you off. And then we'll just ask questions like, hey, did you think God had a plan for you when you were 13? And you dads answer the questions. And then we'll have uh, young men and we'll say, hey, do you think God has a plan for your life? What's it look like? And all we're trying to do is use scripture to drive conversation. 
So you don't have to be a, a theologian. You don't have to have a PhD in Bible knowledge. You just have to be able to uh, read and ask a question. And our small groups are really, really simple. So if a guy, if a dad here wanted to join a group or, because uh, he's like, man, I don't, I don't know other dads I'd, I'd invite, or yeah. I, I'd like to lead a group and I've got some guys in mind, what would your, like, what's the next step there? Yeah, what I'd like to do is give you two resources. One I'll give you now, one I'll give you at the very end of my talk today. One is our website. You can go to manhoodjourney.org. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Look at the first half of the website, manhoodjourney.org. There's tons of group guides, tons of <clears throat> free resources on how to get started. We'll guide you through the process. And then the second thing I'll give you is my personal cell number, because in Louisville, I can help you. Um, if you're in another market, it's a little different, but I can help you. And I'll give you that at the very end of today's presentation as part of what we'll do next week in our For Dads Only. Okay. And one last question on the, on the Manhood Journey groups. Have you found there's a, there's, you know, think good, better, best, like a best dynamic? Is it best to surround, you know, like my son's nine. So yeah. is, do you find, is it best to find other dads with nine slash four yeah. or, or give or take a year? You or know, is it? When we first started, we thought about doing different curriculum for ages because, you know, a 9 or 10-year-old thinks about things very differently than a 17 or 18-year-old. However, here's what we found. What we found as we did them in practice, I remember one group I led had about 20 guys in it. That's dads and sons combined. And so the youngest boy was probably 8 or 9, and the oldest boy was about 18. And what was really interesting is as the young boy would say something, like, I hate my sister or whatever, uh, we saw the 17 or 18-year-old boys lean in and say things to that young man that he heard differently because, you know, it's another 18-year-old yeah. boy saying it. And we just sat back and watched it happen. And then we realized probably the best spot is some mixed age of, of boys uh, is ideal, actually. Now, if you, all, if you have a team, a baseball team, and they're all 12-year-olds, great. Do it with a bunch yeah. of 12-year-olds. But if you have mixed ages, don't be afraid of that. Okay. Awesome. Hey, thanks. Um, guys, Kent Evans. Buckle up. Here Let's go. have some fun. Let's, Let's have some fun. We're going to start with a game. We're going to start with a game. And the prize is my latest book, Bring Your Hammer. It's about the book of Nehemiah. So uh, before we put it up, before we, before we start up, I, I need like a spotter. Now, you're not going to win. You're out of the game. So you got to, this is a sacrificial role. I need a spotter who can tell me who raised their hand the first um, because we're going to have a, a kind of a quick recall game to get you guys moving. Who could, who could help me be my spotter? Okay, in, in the back. We got blue shirt. Okay, what's your name? Garrett. Garrett is my spotter. So uh, I'm going to show you a picture of something. We're going to take a walk down technology memory lane. Technology memory lane. And you're going to raise your hand. Don't yell out the answer. Don't yell out the answer. Raise your hand if you can identify what's on the screen. And we're going to have three of these, so three rounds, and we'll start with round number one. Where's the hand? Okay, right here. No. In the, in the black shirt or the gray shirt? Gray shirt? Commodore 64. Thank you, sir. There we go. Commodore, I, that was the first computer I owned. Uh, now, this is, actually, this is actually history with a point. This is history with a point. But that was the very first computer I owned. And I remember actually, I'm not a coder, but I remember writing basic code where I could get something to move across the screen from left to right. And I felt like I was Bill Gates. Like I thought I had like owned the technology world at the time. Commodore 64. Okay, what, the second thing. This is going to go fast. 
Not the system, but the game name. The game name. Where we got? Far corner in the red. What's that? Pong. Pong. Nice. Here you go. Can you catch that? Very. Oh, no. And you know what? Uh, I would like to say sorry about that, but that one's on you. Okay. <clears throat> it was my mistake. I hit you in the hands. I apologize. I apologize. I should have picked a different body part. My bad. Uh, okay. Pong. Pong. Anybody play Pong as a kid? Do we have any? Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's the worst game in the world, but like it's the only option you had in like 1981. Uh, it sure ain't Call of Duty. Okay. Last one. Last round. You got to name the game. You got to name the game in the striped shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I figured you'd get that one. That's Tecmo Bowl, uh, which, by the way, has made a bit of a resurgence. If you've played like retro football on your iPad now, it's basically Tecmo Bowl for 2022. Uh, I want to show you one other picture. This isn't part of the game, but these are actually the computing systems that I used as a, as a young man. So uh, this is the, I think this is the Apple II. Who said Apple II? That's a Mac 1. So that was what I had in college to do like term papers on. You know, and literally the screen was about that big. Like it was maybe eight inches by five inches. Uh, and you typed and it was the, I think, I think it was the very first computer that had a mouse, if I'm not mistaken. Like the mouse was like revolutionary that you could actually control the computer with. And then this thing on the right, uh, I'm pretty sure that's the exact model that I had. My very first job in advertising, I had essentially a word processor. It's like a typewriter with a little bit of memory. Um, and so what you would do is you would, I could take it home and had a handle, like it literally had a carrying handle that came out of the bottom and it would flip up and you could carry it like a briefcase. There's the floppy disk drive um, and you could type on it and it would remember what you typed and then the next day you could plug it in and print it out on a printer. Uh, the reason I show you guys this is because like you, like most of you, I look around, I can kind of guess most of the ages in the room. Um, I've walked through the you know, 30 or 40 year technology revolution right along with the rest of you, right? We've all been on the same journey where the next screen will show you, here's my home setup, right? So today I have, I don't know, $6,000 worth of computer equipment any given day with my uh, iPod, Air, Air, uh, AirPod Pros, my iPhone 13, my iPad Pro, my MacBook, now, that MacBook probably, if I'm not mistaken, is about 150,000 times more powerful than the Commodore 64 I showed you a few minutes ago. And so we've all walked this technology revolution. And here's the kind of the pitch I want to make to you today as we talk about fatherhood. And it's that the basics of being a godly father are still the same. Even though we've walked through all this technology in the last 30, 40 years, every generation thinks something's happened to their generation that, you know, God never thought of or that is brand, brand, brand new. And so here's the pitch I want to make is that while technology and culture have surely shifted, the fundamentals of being a godly dad have not. And here's the reason why. The reason why is because they are rooted in the character and nature of God himself. So I don't know if this is going to make you happy or if it's going to make you sad or going to make you frustrated or feel scared. But essentially, you're God's primary picture to your children and your families. It's the way he designed it to be. It's the way he wants it to work. <clears throat> and that is the day you became a dad or a stepdad or a surrogate dad or uh, that kid in the neighborhood who you're the father figure to. The day that happened to you, 
is the day that that person started deciding things about God himself because of your role in his or her life. Kind of whether you like that or not. Now, I've been a dad 22 years. I have five sons. Uh, my oldest is married, so I have one daughter-in-law. I have a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, a brand-new 11-year-old. He just turned 11. And I have a 7-year-old. I've read books. I've searched the scripture. I've written some books. I've talked with hundreds of dads. We've surveyed thousands of dads through our ministry. And I am more and more convinced that the core basics of fatherhood are the same as they ever were. As the same as they ever were. So, for example, let me just show you, like, if fatherhood were a checklist... And I don't want you to have to memorize all this. This isn't what you have to write down. But just for the sake of argument, in in like the first century, here's a handful of things you would have done in the first century if you were a godly dad. You'd known God's word. You'd been a faithful husband. You'd trained your children. You'd have guarded them from evil. You'd have provided counsel. You'd ask smart questions. This would be like a godly father checklist for, you know, someone in the first century. Now let's fast forward to today, 2022. Here's the new checklist. It's the same stupid checklist. It's the same checklist. (laughs) Like there's nothing dramatic that has shifted. And here's what culture and tech companies and others will want to tell us today is, man, unless you're like an Instagram influencer with a million followers, you can't be a godly dad. Or unless you know every single current event that's going on, or unless you read every single newspaper cover to cover and you know every single thing that happened today, you're not going to be an effective parent. And so we get sucked into, I saw a study recently by the Barna Group, and they interviewed teenagers. And they said, what is one thing that you wish were different about your parents? Guess what teenagers said? I wish my parents would spend less time on their technology devices. Number one answer. We don't have a tech problem with 12-year-olds. We have a tech problem with 42-year-olds, right? That's me. I'm 52. I have the tech problem. (laughs) I have the tech problem. So here's what I want to do today. What I want to do today is a lot of us work in jobs. Very few of us work in like a full-time ministry context. When I worked at a job that was more of a corporate job, I had these things called KPIs. Anybody know what a KPI is? Key performance indicator, right? Anybody get excited when you hear the phrase KPI? Who gets like depressed when you hear the phrase KPI, where you're like, dang, that means I got to work for a living. What we're going to talk about, I'm going to try to frame up what I think are three basic godly principles that haven't shifted at all, at all. And we're going to use KPI as our kind of guiding phrase. Here they are. Number one, we've got to know God's word. If you think you get a pass as a dad because you're not a pastor or because you send your kids to that fancy Christian school, or you send them to that great youth group, you don't. You need to know God's word. I'm going to try to make that case today. Secondly, we need to pray. And I want to talk about prayer over time, and how it really hasn't shifted much, and it probably won't ever. And you need to inquire of wiser minds, wiser minds. So we're going to know God's word. We're going to pray continually. We're going to inquire of wiser minds. Let's dive into knowing God's word. Um, And let me just tell a quick story as we dive in. This will be Proverbs, I think, uh, 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. I could pull tons of scripture about scripture. uh, But let me just tell you two quick stories. One of the phrases we use in our house 
is whenever our kids will say, do I have to do something? We often replace that with a different phrase. And we say, no, you don't have to, but you get to. Right? We say, you don't have to, but you get to. So one time, uh, it'll be things like, do I have to clean up my room? It's like, no, you don't have to, but you get to because you have stuff that you're grateful for, so go, go clean it up. Uh, do I have to help my brother? No, you don't have to, but you get to because serving is an honor. And so we've been trying to reframe this in our kids for years. And I remember one time we were driving home from a vacation and we were exhausted and we had stuff in the van that was in the topper. You know, those things you put on top of your car that has all the extra junk you take on vacation. So we were at dinner and we're dead dog tired. We'd driven from South Carolina and we stopped at a dinner near Louisville on our way home. And at dinner, I said to the boys, they were probably, I don't know, early teens at the time, 13, 11, and 9 kind of thing. And I said, hey, guys, when we get home tonight, we're going to unload the topper before we go to bed. And one of my boys started crying because he did not want to do the topper before we went to bed. And he knew instinctively, reflect, he goes, do I get to... And he knew that was the right question. He knew that was the right question. And I said, yes, you get to. You get to. Uh, but let me tell you one story that's a little bit more personal. Uh, a friend of mine was working at a job, and uh, he was laid off. So un- unexpectedly, he had a job loss. And we were meeting actually at the Heine Brothers right here across uh, Blankenbaker. I remember it really well. And he was telling me about all of his free time that he had, and he had a little bit of money saved up like he had planned, and so he wasn't in like dire straits, but he needed a new job, obviously. He needed a new job. But he was talking about the the great, the gratitude he had for having a a little bit of free time. And I just casually said, so what are you doing to fill up your free time? And he was, you know, searching for a new job and, you know, taking care of some honeydew things around the house, and so he was doing that, and I just casually mentioned, I, I didn't mean it in any negative sort of like gotcha sort of context, but I just said, are you spending more time in God's word? And he just kind of like, he hung his head and he just goes, oh, man, yeah, I, I know I should be. He didn't have to, he got to. And so we spent the rest of our time talking about what is your perspective as it relates to God's word? Is your perspective that, oh, yeah, crap, it's already 9 o'clock and I haven't read it yet. And I got to read. Like like you have, it's like taking out the garbage. It's like unsticking the toilet. Like you have to. That's the box you got to check to be a Christian. If, if that is the way you walked in, I'm going I'm to encourage you, either in the booklet you have or as we go through the outline, no pray, inquire, KPI. Some of you will be like Rambo and you're going to walk out and you're going to KPI all over everybody. And you're going to do it all. Great. Most of you, I would suggest, instead of doing that, just pick one. Just pick one as we go through and decide what you're going to do about that one thing today. And here's the one thing I'd love for you to consider doing as it relates to God's word. And ask yourself if you see God's word as a have to or a get to. Because when that switch flips for you, when that switch flips, your relationship with God and scripture will have changed forever. 
will have changed forever. So when you move from, man, I've got to, it's a requirement, to, man, I get to. It's an opportunity. Let me share a few other scriptures with you. You can go ahead, Larry, to the next uh, slide with the other scriptures on it. Uh, one is Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Who wants to walk in darkness? Who wants to walk in darkness? But he answered, Jesus said in Matthew, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus was being tempted by Satan, Jesus' primary weapon back was God's word. Right? It wasn't just, hey, I'm awesome and I'm the son of God. Look at me. It was, no, let me, let me talk about what was written. What was written. So we fight spiritual battles. We light our path. Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active. I brought my latest book, right? Here's what I know for sure. The three of you guys who won my latest book, the book that I wrote is dead. <laughs> it's a dead book. It's the best one I can put together, but it's still dead. God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and joints and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which is, by the way, incidentally, the last part of that Hebrews verse is why you and I tend to not want to read Scripture as often as we probably could. <laughs> because what it does is it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So Im embedded in that Hebrews verse is some of the challenge with reading Scripture. Because when we read it, we find out we're not the center of the universe and we find out that we don't always get our way and we find out that uh, we're flawed and we need a savior. So sometimes reading those things isn't easy. And we want to read the things that tell us, go get them, carpe diem, you're the king of the universe. Well, you're not, right? You're not. There, uh, we talk about sovereign nations, like right now the Ukraine is a sovereign nation being attacked by another nation. And what we mean by sovereign nation is that nation ought to be able to decide its own fate, do what it wants within its boundaries. You're not a sovereign person. I'm not a sovereign person. Jesus wasn't even a sovereign person while he was on earth. He said, I don't do anything that I thought of. All I do is what the Father has told me to do. He was in total submission. So the question is, is that how we're going to approach God's word? And it, the reason I picked these three verses is because Psalm 119 is a bit of a mystery, probably written by David, not so sure. It's one of the ones they, they debate. But let's just save the same argument. David wrote Psalm 119 and Paul wrote Hebrews 4. And Jesus was in speaking in the book of Matthew, if David and Paul and Jesus needed God's word, guess what? So do we. So do we, right? And if we're going to shepherd our children in wisdom and in knowledge of the Lord, how are we going to do that if we don't know how to do it? Right? If we don't know how to do it, how are we going to do that? So here's my encouragement, and you'll see it in your booklet. If you're, reading, if you're hearing me talk about God's word and you think, yeah, I would like to develop that relationship with God's word that is more of a get to and more of an opportunity and where, where I feel like when I get the opportunity to spend time in God's word, it's a blessing and I look forward to it and I push things off my calendar in order to make room for that. If that's where you want to be, then here's the challenge for you today. And you can kind of forget everything I say from this moment forward. Just what's one thing you could do? What's one thing you could do to prioritize God's word in your life? What's one thing? Is it drop one fantasy league that you're a part of? Is it 
go to work a half an hour early and sit in your office with a cup of coffee and God's word? What, what is the one thing that you could do to become a more diligent student of God's word? Let me move on to the second thing, pray. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, and I'd like to pause and talk about this word anxious. If you look at studies over the last year or two, especially as we're seeing the effects of COVID and other tensions in our country, uh, those who study the topic of anxiety and depression would say that um, best we can tell, we're at, we're at the high water mark in history for our country for anxiety and depression. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. One time I was traveling with a job I had. Uh, I happened to go to Europe uh, a lot. And it sounds elegant and, you know, interesting, but it was really wearying. And, not, you know, it's like, yay, Eiffel Tower, and you move on. But, like, I know that sounds maybe cynical, but I just, you know, I wasn't super big fan of traveling as much as I did. However, one time I was um, supposed to be in London, and I connected with a guy in New Zealand who connected me with a guy in London whose name is Rob Parsons. And many of us don't know Rob Parsons in America, but if you could pick up like um, James Dobson or, or maybe Billy Graham or, or uh, Jim Daly at Focus on the Family and drop him in Europe, that's Rob Parsons. So he's like a, a really well-educated, um, well uh, um, very experienced ministry guy, and I had a two-hour lunch with Rob Parsons, just friend of a friend. <clears throat> and I was asking him questions about ministry. This is right when we were starting Manhood Journey. This is eight or nine years ago. And uh, so here's a guy who's in his mid-60s, who'd been a lawyer for 40 years, a uh, lawyer for 25 years, and then was in ministry for 25, plus or minus. And I was asking him questions about ministry and fundraising and book writing, you name it. I had a long list of questions. And so I start in with my questions and I'm like, Rob, what would you do if you were me and blah, blah, blah. And I start. And I'm like face to face with the guy at the London Hilton. I remember we were having like, I never eat split pea soup, but he ordered it. So I got some split pea soup and a Diet Coke. And I just remember what we were eating. I remember like, I can see the picture in my mind. And I said, what would you do if you were me? And he just like, I'm looking at Luke right now. He just goes, Dear God, would you please help me tell Kent what you want him to hear, not what I want him to hear. Would you please help me give him wisdom from you, not from me. And then he looked back at me and we started talking again. <laughs> this guy, I mean, it'd be like talking to Kyle Eidelman about preaching or talking to Bob Russell about launching a church or talking to Ken Eidelman about running a college. Ken could answer me like off the cuff. This is stuff he knows. But instead of just giving me his answer, Rob prayed before he answered me. And I, I hope I never forget that moment. Hope I never forget that moment. Because the anchor for his counsel was not his experience. Because he had plenty of that. He had plenty of that. His anchor for his counsel was prayer. Was prayer. Let me show you a quick timeline of prayer. And I know these will be hard to read. I'm going to read a few to you. But I want you to know that like this is about 30 or 40 
A.D., the first one, Clement of Rome, 75 A.D., the little marks, give harmony and peace to all who dwell on the earth, just as you did to our fathers, and give harmony and peace to our rulers and governors on earth. Do we need harmony and peace amongst our rulers today? 75 A.D., 400 A.D., we seek thy face, turn thy face unto us, show us thy glory, then shall our longing be satisfied, and our peace shall be perfect. Augustine, 400 A.D., Skip ahead to 800 A.D., Alcyon of York. Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against thee. Anybody sinned this week? I have. Wash us from the stains of our past sins. Give us grace and power to put away all hurtful things so that being delivered from the bondage of sin, he goes on. 1200 A.D., Francis of Assisi. O Master, let me strive more to comfort others than to be comforted. Do you know anybody in your life who needs to be comforted? To understand others than to be understood. No, Stephen Covey did not invent that in the seven habits of highly effective people. It's right there. To understand others than to be understood. To love others more than to be loved. 1200. 1275 AD. Thomas Aquinas. Give me, Lord, a steadfast heart which no unworthy affection may drag downwards. Guys, no unworthy affection may drag downwards. Social media. Right? CNN, Fox News. Give me an unconquered heart. Wow. Which no tribulation can wear out. Give me an upright heart, which no unworthy purpose may tempt aside. You ever been tempted by an unworthy purpose? These are not brand new, right? These are not brand new. 1275 AD, I could have pulled 100. It's a Google search, right? It's easy. In John 17, Jesus prayed for unity. Do we in the body need unity today? Mark 9, the removal of spiritual oppression. Luke 22, Jesus prayed Peter's faith wouldn't fail. Have we seen any stories in the last few years of people who had been high-flying Christians who've uh, renounced their faith? Philemon, for fellowship and effective faith. 2 Thessalonians, that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. Colossians 4, Paul was praying for open doors for the word and also that they would know God's will. Luke 23, Jesus prayed for his crucifiers to be forgiven in that moment. As a dad, in fact, I'll I'll tell a story real quick that I didn't plan on telling, but it just came to mind. And that was uh, Ken and I were at uh, Wild Eggs about a year ago. And uh, Ken, if you don't mind me mentioning, what's what's your current age right now? 73? 75. Okay, so 74 coming on 75. So we were, he was 73 at the time when we met. And he goes, you know, my most effective <clears throat> ministry to my children today is prayer. Because they're all grown and active in their faith. And, but he's got grandkids. And I'm sure you have a prayer list of your three children and their spouses and all of your grandchildren that you pray for. Uh, Dads, it is, it is so important that we have a life marked by prayer. So let me ask you this. What is, what is one thing? Again, maybe knowing scripture, you check the box and you are already there, but prayer challenges us. What is one step you could take to grow your prayer life? One step, not a thousand. You don't have to be Rambo. Just change one thing, one thing. <clears throat> and for some of us, all that needs to be is we need to go home and pray with our wives. We need to pray with our wives. 
Or if you have older kids, man, you talk about an easy way to connect with your older kids. They got a cell phone, you got a cell phone. Just text them, how can I pray for you? In fact, we could take a 60-second break. If any of you have older kids and you want to dial out for a minute, dial out. Text your child right now and just say, hey, how can I be praying for you this week? I remember here, uh, I was speaking at, at Southeast actually several years ago. We were talking about manhood journey and it's kind of designed for younger kids. They're still in the home. And a guy came up to me after named Tom and he was crying. He's probably in his mid-60s. And I said, Tom, what's going on? And he goes, well, I've got a 29-year-old son I haven't talked to in over a year. And I, we unpacked it. We talked for about 10 minutes. And where we ended up was he was just going to text his son and say, how can I pray for you this week? That was it. That was it. I haven't talked to him since then. I probably need to follow up, but I know it's going to open doors. Know God's word. Pray continually. And then thirdly, and lastly, and what will tie us to next week, if you come back, is this idea of inquiring of wiser minds. Let me read you this scripture from Proverbs 24, uh, chapter 6, or verse 6. For by wise guidance... You can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. When I was 17 or 18, my parents got divorced. And I was a frustrated, angry young man. And I went to a counselor named Weldon Fuller. And Weldon um, met with me a few sessions. And he said, hey, it seems like you're pretty uh, concerned and you're convinced that you don't want to become like where your parents are. You, you want a, a different path. And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, life has this funny way of turning you into the thing that you hate. <laughs> That's good advice. That's good advice. This week, this week, Tuesday, every two weeks, I'm on a prayer huddle call with five, four or five other guys all over the country. We meet by Zoom. And just this week, I was sharing uh, a specific challenge in my life. And then uh, John and David and Jeff kind of went around the table, around the Zoom screen, and they each gave me some uh, ideas and some encouragement and some advice, some counsel, some counsel. Um, Proverbs 13.10 says, by insolence or presumptuous pride comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Let me show you this slide, and I want you to picture something in your mind. It's a photograph of, uh, you know, what could be considered a boardroom. And I want you to do me a favor. For a moment, I want you to take this chair that is nearest to you, and I want you to picture yourself sitting in that chair. So you're in this room. And you're sitting in that chair, and there's six or seven other chairs around you. Who's in those other chairs? Who's in those other chairs? A couple suggestions. One, uh, if you don't see your wife in one of those chairs, I, I might submit you may be missing something if you don't see your wife in one of those chairs. If you have adult children, 
who are walking with the Lord and are faithful and have known you since you know, they were born or since you adopted them or became their stepdad, I'd, I'd have some of those in those chairs. But for most of us, this is actually what the picture looks like for most of us. There's nobody. <laughs> you're not in that chair because you're not actually seeking wisdom. <clears throat> you're not asking for feedback. And you have nobody sitting around this table. I would love to tell you it's because life is against you and life is hard and time is tough. And <clears throat> no, but it's because you haven't sought those people out. I'm just telling you, man, that is the truth of the matter. <laughs> the truth of the matter. I am a phone call away from breakfast with Ken Eidelman. <laughs> it may take us a few weeks. He might be traveling. But I can tell you guys, this is an area where you talk about pandemics. This is, the, this is one of the pandemics of Christian fatherhood and Christian men in our country. Is that these rooms are empty. There's no one sitting in the receiving chair. There's no one sitting in the giving chairs. Who's in your life board of directors? Now, I have like a real board of directors. I have to because of a nonprofit. So we meet every quarter and they ask me a bunch of hard questions. And so I have to do one version of that in the ministry context. <clears throat> but I'll tell you another thing Weldon taught me when he said, life has a way of turning you into the thing that you hate. And I said, okay, so what's the, what's the answer? What's the antidote? And he goes, well... Instead of having this picture, and I'll bet you we could do this exercise as a room. <clears throat> I don't want to do show of hands. That's kind of awkward. Um, but let me do it the positive way. Let me do it the positive way. How many of you would say that the, your dad or your father figure as you grew up was someone you aspired to be like? Like it was like a role model to some degree. Not perfect, but you grew up and said, man, my dad was the kind of guy I want to be when I grow up. Can I see like a show of hands? This is the positive version. So that's probably 60, 70% of the room. So for 40% of the room or so, that wasn't your story. Sure wasn't my story. Sure wasn't my story. So what Weldon told me was he said, you're going to have to find people who have what you want. They, they, there's something about their life that you find attractive. It, maybe they're good at golf. Maybe they're good at managing money. Maybe they got a great marriage. Maybe they're smart. Maybe they got, make a lot of money. Whatever, whatever it is, develop the, the muscle, the reflex of being able to get around those guys and build this composite picture of who you want to be when you grow up through other men, through other men. Um, and that radically changed my life, radically changed my life. Um, I'll be on a phone call at 8 o'clock today with a guy named Jeff who has, is in many ways way ahead of me in life and done several things that I'm kind of headed that direction. And I'm, man, I'm asking questions. I take every opportunity I can to spend time with that guy. Um, I am literally surrounded because I've kind of made it a habit to be surrounded by other guys. I'm not perfect, but I'm just telling you, if you see this room as empty as it looks in your mind, here's the challenge for you today. Here's the one thing you can do. One thing you can do. Who's somebody that you have access to? 
I don't mean like, you know, if, if you want to become a bas better basketball player, you think LeBron James. Well, fine. If you got LeBron's cell number, call him up. <clears throat> but who do you have access to? Who do you have access to? That you just, you just sense, you just feel like you could learn something from that guy. Maybe it's in your line of work. You know, maybe you're running a certain kind of business and you know someone who's run a very similar business. Or maybe, you know, you're a brand new doctor and you know a guy who's been practicing for 30 years or something like that. Uh, one of the things I've learned from Ken is <clears throat> that uh, he, he ran a really big nonprofit, <clears throat> much larger than the one I'm running. And he's been able to share things with me about fundraising and donor development and strategy and staffing that... You know, it cost me the cost of breakfast. <laughs> uh, I should have paid him thousands of dollars for that counsel. So who's somebody, one person, just one? And we'll see you next Thursday. We'll see you back here next Thursday. Could you get with that person in the next seven days? Could you come back next Thursday and have had a conversation? Cup of coffee, Zoom call, cell phone conversation where your only objective is to ask him a couple questions to build the habit on how to do this, right? If I went to Chris Burke's Baseball Academy, number one, I don't think I would actually qualify. I don't think he'd let me in. <clears throat> but if he did, probably one of the first things you would do, Chris, is throw me in the cage and let me hit a couple so you could see just how bad I am, right? Fair. <laughs> and then he'd be like, whoo, man, do I have a lot of work to do with this guy. But because he's a pro at getting people from unskilled to skilled, his first step would be to assess kind of where, where am I now? Where am I now? And then he could tell, okay, based on where you are now, we can move you along. But that habit, that reflex of assessing where I am now, getting counsel and moving on. My boys, I had my son last year, one of my boys um, went to see a guy who was a counselor <clears throat> And it was a little bit like pulling teeth to get him to go to this counselor because he felt like going to see a counselor was weak. He felt like going to see a counselor was weak. And the thing that tipped the scale for him was when I shared with him uh, uh, some men in his life <clears throat> who gave me permission, who, who have active counseling relationships. And he was like, wow. And the other thing I shared with him is, do you think that, do you think that today... Right now, uh, top-performing athletes watch game film. I do. I've known a few. I've known, some, I've known one NFL Hall of Famer. I've known some Major League Baseball players. And as they progress in their career, they get even better and better at watching and assessing yesterday's game or last night's game. Why? These are the guys who are the top 0.001% of the, the game. And they're still watching game film. Why? Because, the, man, the difference between a championship and a loss is really small. So for us as dads, our version of game film is this room right here. That's, this is our game film. No one's going to follow you around with a camera like a reality show and help you be a better dad. You've got to pull these men into your life. So let me wrap up <clears throat> uh, with the KPIs. Know, pray, inquire. And then I want, to, I want to give you a bit of a challenge. Next week, we're going to put this into practice. Uh, and if you don't mind, go ahead, Larry, to the, I think the next slide. Um, yeah, right there at the bottom. If you can see that, there's my cell number. 
My cell number is 502-777-0582. And here's why that number may or may not matter to you. What we're going to do next week is we're going to put this into practice, this idea of inquiring of wiser minds. And we've pulled together a panel of three dads who have some um, water under the bridge, right? These are dads who have been at the dad game uh, quite a while. And those three guys are coming here next week. And I'm going to lead a panel discussion with these three guys. And what I would love for the panel discussion to have as its core are the questions that you guys text me between now and next Thursday. So this is, you, this is your chance. Now they're going to be filtered, and if you ask a dumb question, we may or may not get to it. Remember, there are no, there are no dumb questions, but there are dumb people who ask questions. Okay, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> 502 So if you think to yourself, man, I'd love to know this or that about fatherhood, raising kids, walking through difficult seasons. We've intentionally pulled together a panel of guys who have had all sorts of fatherhood challenges. There's probably not a fatherhood challenge these guys haven't walked through. Um, so if you've had some fatherhood challenges or fatherhood questions, text them to that number in the next four or five days. I want to give the guys a one-day heads up on some of the questions they may be fielding. So try not to text them next week at like 629. But text them in the next four or five days. What's a question you'd love to ask some wiser minds about fatherhood? And by the way, <clears throat> a little bit like the, the Trojan horse that went into the city, what the question is and whether you ask it or not isn't even necessarily the point. The point is, do we see wiser men, more experienced guys, as a resource we can pull from? Uh, and, and do you have the skill? Can you, can you hit the ball, the simple kind of grounders? Can you hit them simply and easily? And here's a chance. Here's a chance. What would you ask? We'll just call them three dad experts, even though they'd all bristle at that whole description. Uh, what would you ask three dad experts if you could ask them both anonymously and also just kind of privately? And I won't be calling anybody out. I don't have most of your cell numbers, so I won't even know who asked me what question unless you tell me. So it's, it's fairly private. Um, but here's what my hope is for all of us as dads as we wrap up today. My hope is we know God's word, we pray continually, and we inquire of wiser minds. Because here's, I think, the challenge. The challenge for us as dads is we think there's this giant laundry list of 100 things we've got to get just right uh, in order to be a godly dad. And I really don't think it's all that complicated in terms of the list. If you do these three things, if you do th these are the basics. These are the fundamentals, the fundamentals of godly fatherhood. And if you do these three things, it's amazing what all flows out of these three things in just your life. Not to mention the pattern that you're setting for your children, right? Um, my, my boys have all learned one of, the, one of the coolest things you can do as a 16, 17, 18-year-old young man <clears throat> is go get coffee with, a, with a, a guy who's 10 or 20 years down the road. All of my boys have done it. All of my boys have done it. Uh, one of my 18-year-old son had to process a decision this summer. And he had six or seven cups of coffee and four or five phone calls, and he went through the process. He went through the process. Uh, and I trust that process. I trust that process. His outcome, that's different. But for sure, 
And he made a great decision. Like, it's not like he got, he made a great decision. But at the end of the day, the process is the process I hope he, I hope he learns. When he leaves my house, one of the things I want to be true about him is he knows how to go get and receive feedback. And, and the go get is the hard part. <laughs> because sometimes we just don't, don't go get it. So let me pray for us, and we'll wrap up today. I'll be here if you need to ask any questions or need anything, but text me your questions for next week, if you could, please. Father, thank you for today. Thanks for these men who get up super early on a Thursday morning and are willing to come out and invest time in relationships with one another and listening and growing as a dad. I pray that, that something we covered this morning would be beneficial to each of the guys in this room. I thank you for Ronnie and for Andy Potter who did a great job of getting us all prepped for today and putting this event together over the last several months. I thank you for Ken Eidelman who's poured into me personally but also just all of us as dads the last couple of weeks. I'm super grateful for Ken's wisdom and his heart to share with us what he's learned as a dad. Father, would you give us uh, your wisdom and your spirit today as we endeavor to be um, not, not just effective or successful dads, but godly fathers. Would you help us to focus on you and to aim our children toward your son, Jesus, in everything that we do? And where we get it wrong, would you please overcome that and redeem that? And where we get it right, would you please double down on that and pour your spirit on that? Give us wisdom. Thank you for these men. Thank you for today. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. <clears throat>